I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connections, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. This is such a beautiful episode. I know I say it all the time. My guest for today is Mira Roca, and wait till you all hear what she has to talk about. You will definitely hear in the episode the friendship that Mira and I have had for, I'd say, about 15 years. So that that comes through. But we also talk about yoga and eating disorders, equine therapy and eating disorders, trauma and how we hold it in the body. So along with feeling the love between Mira and I, you're definitely going to get some pretty powerful information. Okay, let's get started. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I know I've said this before, but I am sitting and staring at the most beautiful soul, beautiful soul, my dear friend and colleague, Mira Roca. Mira, welcome to the show. Thank you. Total tears again. I thought we were done with that a couple minutes ago. <laughs> it's, it's just a tearful reunion. And and Mira, this, and we're going to get into the show, but this this for me is is a a goal achieved in life which is i have friends that i could have gone years without talking with and then the second i see them instant connection that's what living is all about that that's what it is for me so that's what you and i are experiencing and all the listeners are just like who are these people they're like what's (laughs) happening so mira could you tell the listeners about who you are and what you do Sure. Uh, My name is Mira Roca. I'm a licensed marriage family therapist and wellness coach. And I specialize in really helping women and females get to the healing space in themselves, in their relationship with themselves, in healing their growing up stories so they can truly be who they desire to be in this world. And uh, I integrate mindfulness techniques. I integrate meditation, uh, body movement, so many fun techniques, and just really having a whole bodied approach to healing. So it's not just our head doing it, but really having it land in the body so so people can grow in the way that feels um, most genuine in their soul. I I don't want to speak for you. I'll speak from my experience. So you and I had the 
blessing of working together years ago in California at Montanito. And from what you're talking about, I know that I, when I started becoming a therapist, a director, all these things, especially for eating disorders, that's when it all came into focus for me, how much it is about the whole body, the body, mind, and spirit, all of these things. You you can't work with one without the other. Can you speak a little to how you enter, how you got on this journey? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's so true. There's something so beautiful and special about uh, working with eating disorders where there's such a disconnection in the beginning between what's going on in the mind and, and the fear and the so much trauma of being able to integrate that into the body. And um, for me, it was, it really started at working at Montanito and having this philosophy that I was bringing to clients that really forced me to integrate it completely for myself and um and really i feel integrity is is so important on a human level and as a therapist level and so it forced me to really just dig deep into all the different pieces that hadn't been fully dealt with and fully um mended and i don't know if things are ever fully anything but it really got me to a to a new space of being with myself where I just had to integrate all the knowing into my body and being patient with myself. I mean, it was such a gnarly journey for just on, on a human level to integrate it all, but knowing that I was holding space for others in such a vulnerable, vulnerable part in their life, it was almost, uh, why wouldn't I do this for me and them? That's exactly, that's exactly right. You know, I I know for myself how much I've grown in my own personal life as I've continued with this work. And I think it's really important for therapists to always be open to new thoughts, new concepts, new feelings, new fears, all of it, right? Not just the good stuff, all of it. Mm, yes. I'm curious what you, when you said, and I, and I love this, like talk a little bit about the growing up story, meaning how do we take someone's past without them dragging it back into the, into the current moment and going into this like deep chat, like tell me about the, how, how you work with people and their growing up story and how it helps with eating disorders. Yeah, it I feel that for me first changing the language of it starts to disarm the the past. You know, talking to a client and say tell me a little about your past and there's such a like a holding a breath sort of dynamic. So as I started to change the language for clients and even for myself, it it created an opening where the growing up story just puts us as a as a human on the timeline. It doesn't mean that that's the whole definition of who we are in this world or who we are meant to be in this world. And so 
when we start to look at our growing up story, it just innately starts to build a little bit of compassion on, on a little kid level where I get to be an adult. I get to be my own good enough mama. I get to be my own good enough dad in this moment, starting to look at my timeline up until this point. And, and I know compassion is like such a far stretch of where, um, it's like the ultimate goal for all of us anyway, but even just being able to look at that growing up story with a new lens starts to create an opening to heal within that. I think that's the most important part when you said with a new lens. And by that, I mean, we're always looking at the same story from a different lens. When, when you and I worked at Montanito and clients used to do their life maps, which was similar to what you're talking about, and clients, there were, there were times when clients had come two, three, four times back to treatment, which happens, and they would say, oh, I brought my life map so I don't have to do it. And I say, oh, no, no, no you are doing it again because you are a different person from when you did it last time you were here. You will see the the narratives from a different perspective. So that's where, and I'm almost, and I'm saying this jokingly, so please don't think I'm being like, but that's where you can't be lazy. Yeah. And it's so true. It's just without Uh, I want to say without judgment, but it's so hard to not have judgment when we're healing our own stories, but it's really just honoring. This is where I came from and I'm here and I'm willing to do as much work as I feel capable of doing in this moment and trusting that that is enough and being in a space to share your story with someone who is going to help mirror that or hold space for whatever shame or embarrassment or so many layers of feelings that come up with beginning to share that. But the healing really is in that connection, in that relational space of this is who I am and still feel loved and, and accepted within that. Yeah. And this is who I am now. And parts of that concept may even change in an hour. And and I'm not saying that like people are so, um, our, our personalities are unreliable or I'm not saying that we're not, you know, we're all over the place, but everything can change in a moment. I don't want to make this a political show or anything like that, but, you know, we're recording this the night after the George Floyd trial. I will never be the same as I was even 10 minutes before that verdict came out. And so I I hope it's okay that I use that as an example, but even my narrative to, to to yesterday morning is different because of what I experienced with collective racism that was happening in our country. And I think that's also where you know, with our growing up story and with what's happening present day is that it's the emotions that are the things that drive that storyline. Like there's fact, and then there's the emotional 
piece that connects with it. And, and we're sitting here as two embodied humans who are allowing ourselves to feel everything that comes with the verdict, with everything that happened in this last year, uh, with people with eating disorders and everything within their history, bringing them to the point where we're sitting face to face. And I think it's, it's just being able to have all of our feelings and our truth in that moment, knowing that that gets to evolve too. Evolve. That's mm-hmm. it. And, and to, to actually put it to an example of from my, my young childhood of things that went into my eating disorder, if I were going to do my, my life story, one of the many, many, many things that went into my eating disorder, and I, I think I've said this before, my mother said she can remember I was like six years old and she looked out her bedroom window and I was sitting at our swimming pool, but I was holding myself up because I didn't want my thighs to like spread out on the concrete. If I told this story 30 years ago when I was in my eating disorder, I'd almost be embarrassed to admit like, oh God, stupid girl, embarrassed. Go, Oh, that was harsh. I shouldn't have said that everyone about myself. 20 years later, I probably felt deep sadness for her. I probably connected on that level. Today, I feel totally different about that visual and that girl. And like, okay, like I, what do you want to do with that little girl? How do you want to talk to her now? So again, same narrative, time evolves how we see things. Yes. And And it's so funny that you bring up that example because I have two girls and, and I'm so cautious of my knowing and giving them space to have their own history with food and body image and all of that. And they're girls in this world. And, and I don't talk about body. I don't talk about weight. I can't even remember the last time I've weighed myself. I don't talk about food being good or bad. And there are girls in this world. And so uh, it's swim season. My girls are, their bodies are changing. And I see them going from wearing two pieces to just wanting to wear one pieces. And being able to be an observer without putting any of my words into that is hard. And, and all I, you know, and, and this just happened this weekend. So I love that you even brought up the bathing suit thing, but my daughter ordered a two piece online and she tried it on in her, in her room. And she's like, Nope, Nope, not wearing it. And all I said was, I, you don't have to wear it all good. I just want you to know that I think you look beautiful. And and then, and you want to return it, totally return it. You want to try it again in a couple days, whatever you want to do. Like I have zero attachment to what she chooses to wear in the pool, but it's just such a delicate space of when the bodies start changing and all the hormones start hitting and wow. In that moment, though, by the way you spoke to her, you gave her permission 
to still say, mm, how do I say this, Mir? Give me a minute. We're so, we're so quick to want to just fix their feelings. And I really mean the word fix. No, no, no. You look beautiful. You look beautiful. Why wouldn't you? By the way, she doesn't feel it. So you're telling her that and pushing it on her does not help. Exactly. You saying, oh yeah, I agree. I would return it. Doesn't give her any room to say, why don't you just, maybe it's just the moment it's not feeling really good. So what you did was you met her where she was at. You you opened up all options. Okay, I think you look beautiful. And if you want to return it, that's fine. But let's give it a day or two. Yeah. That's a really... That that's a really beautiful way to raise little souls, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Totally. And, and it's so tricky because there is no right way to do any of this. And all I know is that the second I became pregnant with a girl, <laughs> it was check yourself, check yourself check your own growing up story, make space for, for them to just be in their own truth without any of my history or any of my growing up story being placed on that. And obviously I'm human and I, you know, I don't exist in a bubble, but you know, we're all just doing the best we can. So tricky. Yeah. I know this is like the million dollar question that I'm sure mothers ask or fathers, but how do you do that? Because I, I'm sorry, everybody. I'm having a little bit of trouble with my words today. I think I'm just so in love with Mira. I can't, <laughs> so, I can't like concentrate. Um, we, we know that in the parent-child relationship, that even if the parents don't express certain things, children still feel energy. Uh, You know what? I'm answering my question as I'm saying it. So the reality is, is everyone just trying to be present and human and compassionate towards self because you're right. Nobody's going to do it perfectly. I think the truth is, is that the way that I've been doing it and the way that I work with moms, especially is just being honest with ourselves, with our own growing up story and history around food and body and all of that. And if we're, if I'm honest with myself and if I'm living in integrity in my life with my relationship with food and my relationship with my body and really embracing all of who I am, then I, I can't do it wrong. I'm just living as a human and there's going to be things that we need to talk about and there's going to be things that are hard to talk about. But if I'm willing and open to talk about it for myself, all there is is room. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's just the example of the energy that your children will pick up on. And that doesn't mean that energy always has to be like happy, go lucky and everything is perfect. It's just being authentic. It's just being authentic. And in fact, I think that over bubbly, positive, airy fairiness creates a disconnect with uh, with 
little souls <laughs> because, and this happens so much with eating disorders and it's just this sweet, sensitive souls that have picked up on everybody else's stuff that isn't being talked about and trying to figure out how to manage it within themselves. Well, how often have you and I worked with clients that are complete people pleasers? You know, they're the quote unquote perfect client, which I say, God, I, I want you to mess up. They do every assignment. They do it with a smile. They say, thank you so much. This was such a great, and I say, where's, where's the pain? And I don't, I don't want to like say, I don't want to impose pain, but the eating disorder did not come from this happy disposition. This is, this is a people pleasing presentation. And when parents do the same thing, that's what they're teaching their children is the only thing that is acceptable to show. Yeah. And it's really, I feel it's such a, a fear-based response to not mess up because of whatever that consequence is going to be if I do. And, and I think that's where it's just such a learning experience to be able to start having their own true voice, our own true voice, beginning to speak up for ourselves, beginning to speak our truth, and then watch that the world doesn't crumble as a result of it, even though I'm really uncomfortable in my body. So it's starting to inhabit that relationship with speaking my truth, what that feels like in my body. And I don't need to take care of the world. I just take care of myself and let that ripple effect be enough. And by the way, that ripple effect is more powerful than we think. Yes. So powerful. I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you, when we're talking about eating disorders and the body, talk to me about your incorporation of yoga, because I yoga is an incredible incredible way of being in the body, which can also be incredibly frightening for people with trauma that, that have not been connected to their bodies for, for a long time. How do you use yoga when you're working with clients with eating disorders? Yoga is one of those things in life where there's so many layers to it. And the beauty of that is I get to meet people right where they are in their experience with their body. So if someone is going from over-exercising, restricting, on the go, 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 I'm not going to put them in a 30-minute still meditation. It's like we're going to self-combust. Even, even high-functioning humans don't want to do that. So I get to meet people right where they are. So we'll go through uh, a more vigorous experience until they start to really inhabit their body. And then we can slow down in that process to be still or to hold a pose for 30 seconds longer versus go, 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 go. And the beauty of yoga is that everything that happens on the mat is such a mirror for what happens in life. And when people start to be in that relationship with their mat, then 
they automatically can start to walk into having a more congruent life within that. Because it's really easy, I feel like, with eating disorders and mental health as well, and just in general, to compartmentalize life. This is how I act when I'm with this person. This is how I act when I'm around money. This is how I act when I'm around food. But yoga and integrative psychotherapy just gets to have a whole bodied experience where you are you and the freedom that starts to come with, I don't have to change in any of my relationships. I get to have the freedom to stand in my own truth in my own body. And I don't need to take care of every other person to make sure that they're okay. And I feel like yoga is such a um, it's almost like an icebreaker for that experience in the body. Yeah. Can you give an example when you say, because I don't know if everyone literally understands it or truly when you say like what you do on the mat mimics what your life is like or how you, how you approach life. Could you give an example? Yeah. So, um, so many good examples. Let me think. Okay. I feel like I'll just go back to the example of someone who who's exercising so much and uh, extra mindful of their food intake and all of that. And then they get on the mat and they they don't want to rest in between poses. They want it to be, uh, we're here for 45 minutes. I need my heart pumping for 45 minutes because this is the task that I've assigned myself to do in this moment. And, and they're in game mode. For 45 minutes. And so this is just what's happening on the yoga mat. There's no doubt that this human takes that same mentality if they're going to the bank to deposit a check, if they're going to the grocery store with their list and it's go time and it's game time, like everything in their experience, I would guess, and I'd likely put money on it, not that I'd ever bet on anybody, <laughs> that that is the experience that they're bringing with them throughout their life. So then as we start to slow down on the yoga mat, and they're starting to learn that my body does not have to be on the go. My body does not have to be stuck in fight or flight mode in order to survive in this world because I no longer have the thing that I'm needing to survive from. And so their body starts to trust and land in a more relaxed experience. And I say relax super loosely, but just out of fight or flight mode, because ultimately that's what's happening when someone's at the height of their disorder. What I was feeling inside when you were giving the examples of like, do the, you know, doing yoga for 45 minutes and then going to the bank and that's a task and going to the supermarket, the way you were describing it, everything feels very disconnected. Each task is just that, a task. Not connected to the moment before, very separate. And that's not a comfortable way to be in life. Things need to be a lot more fluid, a lot more connected, as opposed to chunks of time throughout the day, because then you're sort of, 
living through, or how do I say this? This is this is when I've noticed, either from my own experience or with clients, I I lived in the future. Everything was, well, I have this to do in this hour, this to do in that hour. Everything was to get to a destination, but I don't even know what the destination was. At the end of the day, it was really just to go to bed. And I'm being honest. Yes, you survived another day. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it, Mira. I survived another day in my eating disorder. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And that whole experience, you're just holding your breath all day long, holding your breath. That's that's what anxiety does. That's what the panic is. It's all in the breath without exhaling, without allowing a full intake, a full inhale of any experience because you're just stuck in this survival mode of being because of the whole growing up story. There's a reason your body started to react that way. It also reminded me of how much I was holding my breath during my eating disorder. Yes. For years, Mira, I was like, (gasps) always holding my breath. And, and that's the antithesis or the polar opposite is doing yoga where it is about the breath. Do you notice that clients struggle with the with the breath and the breathing practice during yoga? Yes, I feel like there's so many triggers entangled even in just the word breath or the idea of breathing. It's such a vulnerable space for humans to be in. I mean, think about even us today to allow a solid exhale where I'm fully relaxed. Now it's easy, but it takes training. It's hard to let myself fully trust that I'm safe in this experience and I'm safe in this moment and my body is safe in this moment. And that's all entangled in breath. And that's where the movement of yoga gets to be a little bit of a distraction until ultimately maybe they can get to a point where they're sitting in a meditation for a minute or listening to a song where they can allow themselves to exhale for that two minutes while being in that experience. So breath, there's so, so much work within that that allows us to start to integrate in our body, but it all goes back to safety and where we feel safety. And if we do. I'm wondering if you can speak more specifically to safety and feeling safe from what are you talking about? What I'm imagining you're talking about is the emotional wounds, the emotional hurt that could be coming our way, possibly physical hurt. Like when you're talking about that, so so everybody understands, like, what are you referring to when you talk about safety? When I talk about safety, it's um, in the space or in the era of trauma, in the space of some things have happened in my past where my mind and my body and my spirit does not trust that I am okay. And 
And I am needing to relearn and retrain my body and my mind that this moment is not the moment when I was five. And in this moment, with this human, in this individual experience, even if it's just for five minutes or the 50 minutes that someone's in a session or wherever it is that people start to begin to feel an inkling of new safety in their body, uh, that's where the healing starts to happen for the past traumas and the past experiences where their body just was not safe, either their body or their mind, or just maybe picking up on outside stuff, so many different experiences. I also want to point out how people don't even realize they're not breathing. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with a client and I said, I'd have to say to them, I need you to breathe. Like you've been talking or reflecting for the last 90 seconds and you haven't taken a breath. Mm. So let's stop and just breathe. Yeah. And exhale specifically. It's like the beauty is in the exhale because there's so much intake. There's so much inhaling that that are, we end up holding our breath. But even now, if I'm holding my breath, I can sip in a little bit more. So it's trusting in the exhale. It's trusting in the let go in this exact moment that even with everything I'm experiencing, I can allow myself to surrender in just this exact moment and building that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, Clients are often surprised when I say you have, you've been holding your breath the whole time. They're like, I have. And I say, yes, Mm. they don't notice it. It's just autopilot in survival mode until there's that awareness and that room for someone to hold space. Yeah. You, you do a lot of trauma work and I'm wondering, do you find, I guess I'll ask this way that yoga is something that's a that's more effective than other therapies. Like I know you also do equine therapy and you know talk therapy. So when it comes to trauma, and by the way, that could be a really broad broad question that I'm asking because trauma is a very big word. But what do you find, or is it the combination? I feel that yoga is almost, um, it's not the first step. It's probably if there's 10 steps, it's probably midway. And that in the beginning, I might do uh, some EMDR, uh, some EFT tapping, uh, some sort of experiential process that allows the client to start talking about it while airing it out in the energy in their body. And um, so I feel like I would start with those sorts of things until they're really starting to feel a little bit more of that safety in their body. Otherwise, anything to do with body and movement is just so activating that. 
I would not personally do that in my own individual sessions, but if they wanted to go and try a class and do it with a friend and maybe they're doing power yoga for a while just to get into the experience of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so many thoughts and then blank. <laughs> Mira, I love that. And, and and I was watching that whole thing happen. I was like, oh, she's winding down, winding down. Nothing. And <laughs> scene. It's all good. It's all good. Let's talk about, though, the work that you also do with horses and clients and speak a little bit to that. So with equine therapy and with horses, it's a uh, more recent experience for me, uh, the equine therapy came into my life a couple years ago when I started volunteering at a rescue ranch and the animals were, they all had their own story of how they got there. And this ranch was working so much with veterans and post-traumatic stress disorder and substance abuse that when I started bringing in clients with eating disorders and trauma history, the core of all the different things were the same. And I found that in working with horses whose energy field expands so much greater than ours on a human level, that first even being around them starts to calm the system. And also it starts to disarm the story that people have been telling between human and human. And then it gets to be a little outside of them. Ooh, that horse is really scary. I'm really intimidated by the bigness of the horse. Or you start to hear this language that maybe they have been carrying around with them for a long time in their personal story but it starts to disarm that a little bit because then it's just about them and the horse. And it's a whole new experience between them and a horse versus them and, and a, a grown man or them and a mom figure. There's nothing entangled in it between them and the horse. So in that new way of being, things start to shift without even an awareness of it. And I have, it, it's just been so beautiful to watch the metaphors that happen, how the horse responds, how the animals respond and, and what the human experiences. And I have this funny story of, I went with a client and there were two donkeys in the pen and I walked out and she said, um, I said, you can, you can go. The, if the donkey wants to go, they can come too. And the, one of the donkeys that she had been around for our session, the gate was open. The donkey came right up to the threshold, gates wide open, and it wouldn't go. And it was just so impactful in that moment of what is wide open for us to walk through. But we, in our own minds, aren't allowing ourselves to do that because we haven't figured out if we can trust that moment yet. So the metaphors that happen in that equine animal therapeutic space is just so disarming to that human-to-human -human interaction that we are always with. <laughs> 
Yeah. It also, if we, if we turned the metaphor, it, it makes me think of how as humans, often the gate is open, but we stand there frozen and stuck. And in our small little, I'm going to say pen, I don't know if donkeys are in a, in a pen or whatnot. We stay in with the surrounding that we know, even though there's nothing keeping us there, but ourselves. That's what, that's what's happening. Yep. It's fascinating. It's fascinating, right? It's like frustrating and empowering all in the same breath. Yeah. And, and if we allow ourselves to let go of the judgment of the frustration of it, then we get to start tiptoeing out of it. But oftentimes what happens is we just stay stuck in, oh, I'm such an idiot. The gate was wide open. Why didn't I just walk through? And there's this inner dialogue that keeps us stuck in the judgment of how we are rather than an observer with a little bit of grace. As soon as you started saying that, like, oh, I'm such a jerk. I'm so stupid. The the gate was open all along. Again, I just imagine just another way we keep ourselves trapped in our in the same story. You're still, because of being stuck in that judgment story, you're still keeping yourself inside the pen and you're not walking outside the into the into the world. By the way, I also want to point out often with eating disorders. And I'd say a lot of people, it is terrifying to walk out into that open space. So, you know, that's why clients will say, I want to give up my eating disorder. This isn't fun. I am not enjoying this. But I know it. It's safe. It's on my terms. I do it when I want. That's that, that gate, right? Yes. And that's also where the importance of being in relationship with a human that you trust, like a therapist or a coach or a healer or whatever that is, to to walk the pen in circles with you. We can tiptoe out together. You can go back in. You can walk outside and look in and see what that feels like for you. And you're not alone. You've been actually alone this whole entire experience up until this point, but you're not alone anymore. And so building that trust and safety in another human relationship is truly where the healing is. And then it allows us to then walk through by ourselves. Like, oh, I was already doing this with Karen. So now I'll just take a couple steps by myself and Karen will be with me again next week to do it. Like there is this continuous trust in a safe relationship that starts to build where I don't have to stay in the pen with my behaviors or I don't have to stay in survival mode because gates wide open for me. I also think that going even a step back before the I was walking around the pen with Karen and or I can do it is again, going back to the connection with horses and with most animals. Mm. That is the first place sometimes where people feel that unconditional connection, no judgment. Like you said, nothing tangled up. It's 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 almost just quiet. Like the noise stops, right? Yes. 
And, and for me, I actually started doing that with nature before I did that with animals, because in theory and in reality, animals can hurt people. They don't mean to, it's just their own trauma response, right? So for me, I started doing it with trees in my neighborhood and just watching nature consistently evolve and consistently be there for me. And I started tracking the moon cycles and I just started watching for where is there any space of consistency in my life that feels good enough in this moment. And, and nature, even to this point, is the number one healing space for me. It allows me to grow my spirituality. It allows me to trust that there is consistency in life and I don't need to be the one that holds consistency with my rigid schedule or my need to control. I get to surrender in this bubble of consistency. And in that moment, that gets to be enough. And right there, that's it. It's enough. And sometimes we think it has to be better than enough. It has to be perfect. It has to be at the top. I can't even tell you, Mira, how much I love that my my life is enough. Ugh. It doesn't. And and it, when I was in my eating disorder, I had ideas of wanting it to be spectacular and everything. I was number one at this and number one at that. No, I'm enough. That's it. And wow, that's a great feeling. It's massive. It's so massive. And it's a lifelong experience right? I mean, I'm, I know I feel it. I imagine you feel it even as I do something new in my therapy practice, or as I do something new on social media, or as I allow myself to be even more vulnerable and visible in life, I have those little doubts creeping in. Oh, is that enough? Like so-and-so does it so much better. And there's so many ways that we can get in our own head with it, but just that continuous reminder of I'm going to trust that I'm enough in this moment and that's it. What else is there? That's it, Mira. What you're right. What else is there? I love you so much. Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> I can't believe we're sitting across from each other well through Zoom, so but good. Mira, we're going to have to start winding down and I, I just have visions of you and I walking through the facility together and sitting together. I'm just, I'm in such a beautiful memory, memory lane right now. And I apologize to everybody else, but what a, what a great time we had when we worked mm. together physically and just seeing you right now. Amazing. Amazing. So special. Is there anything before I ask your final question that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with listeners or anything that you just want to say? I'd say don't be afraid to tune back into your body. It's not what it was in the beginning. And you are not who you were in the beginning. And it's okay to let yourself land back in because I know there is such a deeper knowing in that space that is waiting for you. 
and so craving you to tune back in to be in relationship with it again. And of all the things that you want to be afraid of in the world, don't let your body be that. Beautifully said. That right there, that last sentence. I mean, everything was beautiful, but that last sentence. All right, Mira Roca, we're going to have to change. We're going to have to take a hard change to your final question. Nice. I forgot what it was, but bring I know. <laughs> I, I actually love it when people forget because then I catch them off guard and they're like, uh. so Mira, the question is, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? She is not all sweet and sunshine like she looks. <laughs> <laughs> do have that look I remember when we worked together I used to call you mother earth yes mother earth and I love that and I am so much that it's that whole like peace love and go fuck yourself like that is me in a sweet little nutshell (laughs) right there I think that's what it should say on the wall Mira says peace love and go fuck yourself I think that's kind of so good words to live by my darling I love you so much Jen I love you so much this has been so sweet so beautiful so important and thank you Mira thank you thank you for being part of this all right everyone that does it for another episode of recovery bites I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week take care and stay safe to wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. All right, everybody, be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week.